If you're living in a life of sin, let me ask you, what benefit are you deriving from that? Does it truly satisfy your soul? I can promise you that it does not because you were created for more. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part eight of Whose Slave Are You? The Apostle Paul is very clear in Romans chapter six regarding your relationship to sin. If you are a believer, there will be growth and spiritual fruit. Now it is true that all believers grow at different rates. However, much like a sign that tells you which road you're on, the fruit of righteousness reveals what type of relationship you have to sin. No fruit, no life. Well, today Tom continues to look at the ramifications of slavery to righteousness that leads to eternal life and the sobering reality for those who are slaves instead to sin. The question remains, which path are you on? Let's join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. Chapter 3, verse 13, there is none who does good, not even one. To use Paul's language, they are under sin. They are dead in sin. They are slaves to sin. Turn over to chapter 8. Paul can't put it any more clearly than he does in Romans chapter 8, verse 6. He's describing believers and unbelievers, and first of all, he says, of unbelievers, the mindset on the flesh, that's all unbelievers, that mindset is death. And then believers, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Now notice in verse 7 how he describes unbelievers. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, and then watch this, for it is not even able to do so. Unbelievers cannot acceptably obey God. In fact, verse 8 goes on to say, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So before Christ then, understand that we were not only slaves of sin, but we were free in regard to righteousness. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. You know you're not a Christian. You came in knowing that. You're here with family or friends, invited by someone. This is just what you do. Whatever brought you here this morning, you know you're not a Christian. Perhaps you're tempted to think that you are free, that you're free to do whatever you want. Well, let me give you God's perspective on your situation. God says you're not free at all. You're a slave. You're a slave to your sin, and the only thing that, the only freedom you enjoy is freedom from righteousness, freedom from being like your Creator who made you. That's the only freedom you have. Secondly, Paul says this slavery that leads to death brings absolutely no benefit. Notice verse 21. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving? from the things of which you are now ashamed. Now let me teach you a little Greek here. Punctuation was not a part of the earliest Greek manuscripts that we've received. And occasionally that can present a problem for understanding 
the New Testament. This is one of those unusual cases where there are actually two possibilities. Let me share them with you. Possibility number one, look at verse 21. This could be the question. Therefore, what fruit were you having then? End of the question. Answer, the things of which you are now ashamed. In other words, with this punctuation, verse 21 means that the only benefit of your slavery to sin was the things or the sins of which you are now ashamed. The only fruit, the only benefit of that slavery before Christ was one thing, sin and more sin. That may be what Paul means here. But almost all English translations take the same approach that our New American Standard does. Look at verse 21 and see the question Paul asks in this punctuation. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? I think this is more likely the question Paul intended to ask. So what's his answer? What benefit? Well, there is no answer. Why? Because there was absolutely no benefit to our spiritual lives, our sinful lives before Christ. There's no answer because this is a rhetorical question. There was no benefit of the things, the sins of which we are now ashamed. If you're currently living in a life of sin, let me ask you what benefit that's bringing to you. Oh, perhaps there's a temporary pleasure. Scripture talks about that. The pleasures of sin for a time doesn't last. It's short, it's brief, but yeah, there's pleasure. But really, if you're living in a life of sin, let me ask you, what benefit are you deriving from that? Does it truly satisfy your soul? I can promise you that it does not because you were created for more. Does it provide lasting benefit to your soul? Does it do good to you? Do you grow as a person? Do you love the people around you better? Are you more connected? Do you understand and care for people more because of that life of sin? Again, no. Does it help you prepare for death and eternity? And you know the answer to that. When your conscience wakes you up in the middle of the night and that faint echo of the coming judgment of God is in your soul, you know that's not true. What benefit? Paul says there's none. A life of sin gives no fruit that matters. Nothing that satisfies. And thirdly, it ends in eternal death. Look at verse 21. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. The Greek word translated outcome is literally the end. It's the Greek word telos, the end. The final destination of the road marked by a life of sin is death. And here, he's not just talking about physical death, although that's included. We know that because he contrasts this death with eternal life. Look at chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's talking about way more than physical death. 
He's talking about physical death, yes, but he's talking about spiritual death, dead to God, no relationship to God, but he's also looking into the future and describing eternal death, the second death, as John the Apostle calls it. What is this? What is eternal death? Well, turn to Revelation chapter 20. John the Apostle describes it for us. Revelation 20, verse 11, he is allowed to see the coming judgment, the great white throne of judgment before which every unbeliever will stand. Every person who has not believed in Jesus Christ will stand before Christ himself. Verse 12 says, and everybody will be there, the dead, small and great, standing before the throne. The books were opened. These are books that are records of the lives of people and the book of life was opened as well. And they were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. You will be evaluated with perfect justice. If you don't believe in Christ, you will get perfect justice. But every single thought, word, and act you have ever committed against God and His law will be recorded and recited back. And everybody will be there, every unbeliever, verse 13... No exceptions, judged by their deeds. Then, verse 14, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Verse 8 of chapter 21, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars... By the way, that's not a comprehensive list. That's a representative list. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Eternal death. Here's how Jesus described it in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. He said, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. However long life lasts for the righteous is how long punishment lasts for the wicked. That's what Jesus says. That's where a life of slavery to sin will take you. That's where it ends. Paul's point is that a life of sin, a life of slavery to sin, ends in only one destination, eternal death. So there is one of the two paths, one of the two roads, one of the two kinds of slavery, slavery to sin. And Paul warns us, Paul warns us here what the road looks like and what the destination finally is. I had just come as pastor of Countryside. I was still learning at that point Texas roads, which do require some adjustment. And near my home, there is this strange intersection, it's still there, where the roads don't properly align. And in the middle of the night, with no other traffic to be seen and, and barely awake, it's easy to get confused. And so I, the light turned green. I started across the intersection, and I went straight across the intersection, which should have been my lane. Turns out it was the opposite lane. And a minute later, I realized that I was driving on the wrong side of a divided highway. How did I discover my mistake? Well, the road signs were all facing the wrong direction. It's like those crazy Texans. Why would they do that? I was on the wrong road. 
That's what Paul is saying here. If you are living in an increasing pattern of sin, you're on the wrong road. You never got on the right road. You've never been changed by God. And the road that you are on is taking you straight to the lake of fire. In verse 22, Paul moves on to the second road, the second kind of slavery. It's the slavery that leads to life. Verse 22, but now, don't you love that word? Then, but believer, now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Notice, notice first of all, it's slavery to God. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. By the way, both of those are divine passives. You had nothing to do with being freed from sin. God freed you from sin, and in the very same way, God made you a slave to himself. He enslaved you. You say, what's that like? Well, I think it's like the new covenant promise that we looked at several weeks ago in Ezekiel 36, 27, where God says, I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my ways enslaved to God. It's slavery to God. Secondly, this slavery that leads to life brings the benefit of sanctification. Isn't the only benefit it brings, but it does bring this benefit. Again, verse 22, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. Before Christ, our lives of sin produce no fruit, no benefit but sin. But for those of us in Christ, that has changed. Having been enslaved to God, one great benefit we have is sanctification. Christian, if you are truly redeemed, you are in the process of becoming more holy. It's a reality. In fact, look at verse 22. Follow along and let me translate verse 22 literally for you from the Greek text. You look at your English Bible and follow along as I translate it literally. But now, having been freed from sin and having been enslaved to God, you, and the you is plural, it's all Christians, you all, to be southern about it, are having your fruit unto sanctification. You, all Christians, are having your fruit unto sanctification. That's Paul's point. If you are in Christ, you are having fruit. This idea that's grown up within the last century, in fact, uh, much of it promulgated by a local seminary, that you can be a follower of Jesus Christ and be a spiritual flatline, have no evidence of any fruit in your life. Folks, that is a lie. The truth is, you are having your fruit unto sanctification. Listen, it's true, Christians grow at different, different levels. Jesus talked about that in John 15. He said, you, you, you bear fruit. I chose you to bear fruit. Some of you bear fruit. Some of you bear more fruit. And some of you bear much fruit. 
But every true Christian bears fruit. If there is no fruit of righteousness in your life, let me say it as bluntly as I can, you are not a Christian. No fruit, no life. So what is the fruit that true Christians bear? Well, clearly, obedience to Christ. We've seen that unfold throughout this passage. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and all of those qualities that reflect the heart of Christ Himself. Increasing holiness, that's the word sanctification. Increasing growth in likeness to Jesus Christ. This slavery brings the benefit of sanctification. Thirdly, the slavery that leads to life ends in eternal life. Verse 22, and the outcome, eternal life. Again, the word outcome is the Greek word meaning the end. The destination of slavery to God is eternal life. What is eternal life? Understand, Scripture tells us eternal life is a present possession. If you're a Christian, you have eternal life as you sit here this morning. But Scripture also teaches that it won't be fully consummated until the future. When, as Paul puts it to the Corinthians, all that is mortal has been swallowed up by life. So what is eternal life? Eternal life is complete and final salvation. It is, according to John 17, knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ His Son. It is the restoration of the human soul to the favor, the enjoyment, and the glory of God forever. Now, look at chapter 6 of Romans and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Read that verse carefully, and it's clear that righteousness, what do I mean by righteousness? Right thinking, right speaking, right attitudes, right actions, those things don't earn eternal life. Notice what he says. Eternal life is the free gift of God. It's a gift of God's grace. So how does righteousness figure in? Righteousness is like a road sign that tells you you got on the right entrance ramp. The right entrance ramp, or to use Jesus' analogy, the right gate is that you have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of Christ alone. You've been radically transformed, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Righteousness doesn't get you on the right road any more than that huge sign over the freeway got you on the right freeway. You get on the right road by taking the right entrance ramp. Again, using Jesus' analogy, the right gate, which is the work of Jesus Christ alone. That's how you get on the right road. But how do you know you're on the right road? Look at the road signs. And what are the road signs on the right road? Righteousness. A life that desires to be like Jesus Christ, that's pursuing obedience to Jesus Christ. The road signs point to patterns of righteousness in your life. That's how you know you got on the right entrance ramp, that you're on the right road. John Stott writes, Here then are two completely different lives. Lives totally opposed to one another. The life of the old self and the life of the new. 
They are what Jesus termed the broad road that leads to destruction and the narrow road that leads to life. Paul calls them slaveries. By birth we are slaves of sin. By grace and faith we have become slaves of God. The slavery of sin yields no return except a steady moral deterioration and finally death. The slavery of God yields the precious return of sanctification and finally eternal life. You are on one of these two paths. And the path that you are on today will lead you either to eternal life or to eternal death. Your path today predicts your destiny tomorrow. You are on a path, and the path you are on can only end in one destination. If you're a professing Christian, if you claim as you sit here this morning to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then don't forget where Paul began this paragraph. Remember back in verse 15, he asked the question, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? It's a question Paul's opponents raised. It's a temptation that every one of us as Christians has faced. Which one of us hasn't heard that little voice, call it Satan or whatever you want, our flesh, but that little voice saying, go ahead and sin. You can ask forgiveness afterwards. It's okay. You're you're under grace. Our response to that temptation should be the same moral outrage as the Apostle Paul. May it never be. It can't be. Why? Because verses 1 to 14 of Romans 6 say that we are no longer slaves to sin because we've been united to Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Verses 15 to 23 say that we can't live in sin because we are now slaves of God. And that means we're committed to obeying God. Here's one of the great reasons not to live in sin and to pursue obedience. Because a life of sin shows that you never actually got on the road that leads to heaven. So how do you know? How do you know if you're still a slave of sin? I just went through this chapter, what we've studied here together, and I just made a little list. I'm going to put the verse references next to the questions, but I'm just going to read the questions. I just want you to take self-inventory. How do you know if you're still a slave of sin? Here's how you know. Number one, do you continually live in sin as a pattern of life? Number two, do you continually obey your body's lusts as a pattern of life? Number three, do you continually present the members of your body to sin as tools of unrighteousness? Number four, are you unable to point to a significant break with sin? In other words, is sin still your Lord, still your master? It still reigns in your life. Number five, does the frequency and depth of your sin continue to grow, not growth in righteousness? Number six, do you feel no real obligation to obey Jesus Christ? Number seven, are you still spiritually dead toward God? There's really no relationship with God, your Creator. If your answer to those questions is clear, then you know where you are. You know you're still a slave of sin. And I plead with you this morning to run to Jesus Christ, really, 
Don't put your confidence in some prayer that you prayed in the past, some aisle you walked, some card you signed, some stick you threw in the fire at camp. Listen, this is the Lord's own test. And if you don't pass the test, then before this day is done, find yourself on your face before God, crying out for His mercy for Him to truly change you. Because if that doesn't happen, you are on the wrong road, and that road will only lead to one final destination. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part eight of his current series, Whose Slave Are You? Tom will have part nine for you on our next broadcast. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.